there's no doubt that we regard this as a repudiation on the part of Iran of its desire to be um, a member of the international sporting community. Um, and of course, our position is only made stronger by the devastating events of, of, of today. We now need to see a very strong statement that global sport condemns the use of the death penalty, the use of torture, the use of inhumane and degrading treatment on any member of the Olympic movement, on any athlete, on any person who's affected by the Olympic movement. Once again, this is Eddie Goldman on No Holds Barred. It is with a mix of sadness, grieving, anger, outrage, and a desire for retribution for the criminal acts of the Iranian regime that we present this edition of No Holds Barred. On Thursday, September 10th, we spoke by Skype with Brendan Schwab, the Executive Director of the World Players Association. The World Players Association, part of UniGlobal Union, is the exclusive global voice of organized players and athletes across professional sport. It brings together 85,000 players through more than 100 player associations in over 60 countries. Our topics included the worldwide upsurge in athletes everywhere all across the globe and sport after sport, more and more using their public platforms at sporting events to fight for their rights and expressing their own views and against racism and white supremacy. We also discussed the International Olympic Committee's onerous Rule 50, which prohibits athlete protests at its events, and we discussed the cases of the abrogation of the human rights of Iranian wrestler Navid Afkari and South African runner Castor Semenya. But on Saturday, September 12th, we all got the horrifying news that, despite a worldwide campaign in his behalf, Iran had secretly executed Navid Afkari on the trumped-up charges for which Iran's courts had convicted him. We thus spoke again with Brendan Schwab Saturday in a much shorter discussion about this execution and its implications for world sport and the place of Iran in it. So, to keep us all up to date, the first segment you will hear is the shorter discussion of September 12th with Brendan Schwab, and after that is the longer discussion of September 10th when again we all had hoped that Navid's life would be spared. But before we get to that, a word from the sponsors of No Holds Barred. No Holds Barred is brought to you by LennyHart.com the home of Lenny Hart, the legendary MMA and sports announcer, voice actor, singer, actress, and comedian. 
Lenny is also known for her jazz vocals with her Lenny Hart Jazz Cabaret Band. For more information, to book her or to order a custom message from her, go to LennyHart.com. That's L-E-N-N-E-H-A-R-D-T dot com. And Skulls Combat Sports Equipment creator of the patented Skulls Double End Bag is the perfect punching bag for your combat sports training. Skulls Double End Bags provide a realistic striking target and help improve speed, distance, and timing skills. Hang it and hit it right out of the box. No pump required. Skulls Combat Sports Equipment that Skulls with a Z Advancing combat sports equipment for the next generation of fighters. For more information, go to Instagram and Facebook at Skulls with a Z Combat Sports. And Adolfina Studios, original art prints and handcrafted fine jewelry. For more information, go to Etsy.com, that's E-T-S-Y.com, slash shop, slash Adolfina Studios, that's A-D-O-L-P-H-I-N-A Studios. Hello everyone around the world, welcome back. This is Eddie Goldman, No Holds Barred. As I said in the intro, this was the shorter discussion we had with Brendan Schwab on Saturday, September 12th, soon after we'd all learned the horrifying news that Iran had executed wrestler Navid Afkari. On Saturday, the 12th of September, we received the news via numerous uh, very credible media reports that the Iranian regime has executed uh, wrestler Navid Afkari on what most of us believe to be uh, fraudulent charges, and we're going to get an update from Brendan Schwab of the World Players Association on his reaction and what we should be doing about this. So uh, let us know what you know and what should come next. Well, thanks, Eddie. Yeah, today's been a, a devastating day um, for our movement, but of course, in particular, the family and, and loved ones around Navid. Um, pretty much in secrecy, the Iranian regime, without notifying the family or the lawyers to Navid, uh, completed the execution. Um, we understand from people familiar with this, uh, the, these types of atrocities that that's the way these executions um, are carried out. Um, I think um, there's certainly a, a, a great resilience and determination in those including Sally Roberts, uh, the player union movement and many, many others uh, who fought to uh, have this execution overturned, that there needs to be the highest level of accountability in sport um, for this type of behaviour. Uh, we need to make sure that Navid has not lost his life um, in vain um, and we will certainly be turning our mind to that. Uh, but for today, um, our hearts go out to those. Now, he's still got two brothers uh, in awful uh, detention there in Iran who have very difficult sentences still to serve. Um, our, our hearts are just with them at the moment, Eddie. In the past, we've discussed 
certain sporting sanctions being taken against Iran uh, if they did carry out this execution already, as we discussed before. Um, the Iranian Judo Federation has been suspended by the International Judo Federation for something that was a horrible action, but far less than, than the execution uh, today, the uh, treatment of Saeed Mali, the, uh, the Iranian judoka who refused to throw uh, matches uh, because the Iranian regime didn't want him to potentially face uh, an Israeli athlete in competition, who was a world champion, and Mali was also a world champion. So these were very both elite athletes, and he had to leave the country and is now uh, representing Mongolia in judo competitions. Well, we've discussed that in the past that Iran be suspended from all Olympic and international competitions because of this this crime. So, I mean, have you thought about this in these hours after we got the news of the execution of uh, Navid Afkari? Well, look, there's no doubt that we regard this as a repudiation on the part of Iran of its desire to be um, a member of the international sporting community. Um, and, of course, our position is only made stronger by the devastating events of, of, of today. It's just an incredibly challenging moment now for the leadership of global sport, including Dr. Thomas Bach, the president of the International Olympic Committee, Lalovic, the, the, the president of United World Wrestling. Um, what we would like to see is certainly um, that implemented um, we also need to see a little bit more, I think, you know, um, the sports bodies like to talk about the humanitarian values of sport, but we, we, we now need to see a very strong statement that global sport condemns the use of the death penalty, the use of torture, the use of inhumane and degrading treatment on any member of the Olympic movement, on any athlete, on any person who's affected by the Olympic movement. We need to see some strong statements now by the very same people that they're going to stand by athlete activists. You know, your, your country, the United States, has seen some magnificent examples of athlete activism uh, in past months uh, in response to very difficult circumstances, the death of George Floyd, for example, um, where your country has been asked to confront um, the history and the legacy of uh, systemic um, racism. In, in, in some countries, it's even tougher, Eddie, for athletes to, to, to make a stand. And as we see, because of this repressive regime in Iran, um, Navid has paid the ultimate price. So we needed to see a very, very strong commitment on the part of global sport that athletes who stand up for humanitarian values, who stand up for human rights, who speak out against discrimination, who speak out against oppression, are going to have the backing of the international sports community. Well, we hope so. There's a lot of work to be done. And another side of this, of course, is that the, uh, the horrible treatment, the, the, the torture, the execution, the, the fraudulent charges against him, against Navid Afkari, will also bring to light that his case really isn't unique 
isn't just an exception, but it's a kind of thing that goes on all the time in Iran under this this present regime. And so maybe people that weren't that aware of it will now become more aware of it and active against these uh, these horrible violations of uh, human rights, which which are really in total crimes against humanity. So we're going to see we're going to see what people do. A lot of people, a lot of sports organizations are going to show their true colors uh, at this time, and we'll we'll see what they do. And and I applaud you and World Players Association and all the other people that have been speaking out on all these issues for quite a long time. So. It's a lot of work to be done, but the struggle must continue. Yeah, thanks, Eddie. Absolutely, and um, yeah, we're absolutely dedicated today to make sure that uh, Navid Afkari did not lose his his life in vain. That we wanted to save him desperately, um, but let's make sure that his life uh, points to the systemic change which is so overdue. All right, thank you. We shall be talking with you again soon. Thanks, Eddie. That was the discussion we had on Saturday, September 12th with Brendan Schwab. And also, as I said in the intro, we had a much longer discussion on Thursday, September 10th, when we all had hoped that Navid Afkari's life would be spared. And we discussed a number of issues facing athletes in their battle for human rights. So here it is. If you have been following the sports world and the sports news recently, you are definitely aware that there's a lot more going on other than who won and who lost and things like that. The issues of social, political, and economic rights have been raised not only in society in general, but by many in the sports world about issues outside the sports world and in the sports world itself. To discuss that, we have on the line with us Brendan Schwab, who is the executive director of the World Players Association, which has numerous organizations and athletes from around the world. And if you're not familiar with that name, I think all the major uh, athletes associations in the United States are part of the World Players Association also and we're going to discuss a lot of these issues with him and welcome to No Holds Barred. Thanks Eddie, it's great to be with you. Glad you could be with us and there's just so much to discuss. Um, earlier there was the uh, teleconference by the IOC President Thomas Bach where while he was mainly talking about the issue of how to deal with COVID-19 in the uh, Tokyo Olympics, which of course is rescheduled for next year. There were a couple of issues that a couple of questions were raised by media people about athletes' rights. There was one about the infamous Rule 50, which prohibits podium protests at Olympic events and really international events, part of the Olympic movement. And his response was basically a lot of double talk. He's waiting for the report of their athletes commission while a lot of athletes have already spoken out saying you have to get rid or modify rule 50 he discussed a little bit the Afkari brothers in Iran uh, Navid who was a national uh, standing outstanding wrestler there and his brothers have been 
uh, imprisoned and Navid sentenced to death on trumped-up charges. And uh, he, Bach said they're working behind the scenes, but he didn't denounce the verdict. And then he was later asked about uh, the Black Lives Matter protests and the Black Lives Matter Los Angeles organization objecting to the increased policing at the uh, Olympics. And he just went on to a discussion, well, you know, about the Olympics or anti-discrimination and didn't really address the reality of what's gone on in the last, uh, the last several Olympics with the militarization there. So maybe we could start discussing what Rule 50 is and why that's so important for athletes to, uh, to really get changed. Yeah, thanks, Eddie. If, if you're going to really understand any civil rights or human rights movement, um, and what does that mean? It really basically comes down to two fundamental aspects. The first one is the right of freedom of expression, the right to freely state your genuinely held uh, political beliefs. And the second, of course, is the right to freedom of association. Uh, and these are two rights that the Olympic movement really uh, struggles to come to terms with um, because what it is trying to be is an organisation that is inclusive and therefore it believes it needs to be autonomous, that is it's self-governing, and it needs to be politically neutral. Um, it tries to avoid the tough questions, it tries to avoid the uncomfortable um, conversation and that can actually put it at odds with these two essentially enabling rights, freedom of association and freedom of expression. Um, of course, the great paradox in this or the hypocrisy some would say is that um, the Olympic movement wants to champion humanitarian um, values. We've seen, haven't we, over the years that the Olympics have been uh, appropriated by host countries and host states for purposes of propaganda. And we've also seen athletes suffer very heavy penalties um, for exercising their rights. And probably most famously, you know, the three great athletes in 1968, Tommy Smith, Peter Norman, and John Carlos, who all participated in that famous demonstration for human rights on the podium um, and paid uh, very, very severe uh, penalties in terms of sanctions imposed by the sport. But if we look back at that commitment through history, we will see that they're now recognised as having been on the right side of history and are, and are true heroes um, of the Olympic movement. Well, what are the athletes and everybody trying to do about this Rule 50? What are, what are the various proposals out there? Because there's still, even, even people like uh, Gwen Berry of the United States, uh, was recently penalized. She lost to sponsors because of a podium protest, even though she's a, a, a one of the elite athletes. Well, I, I think that the way she has so articulated um, her opposition to being silenced is, is, is very, very uh, powerful. The IOC is doing what it likes to do, Eddie, and that is to regulate and control the way in which people are to exercise um, their uh, power of free speech. 
Now, that means that the IOC is trying to adapt Rule 50. It's trying to go through a process of apparent athlete consultation, not through the unions, though, but through the sports federations to get some modification that people can speak out at permitted times. But, of course, the whole point of that is that defeats what freedom of speech is all about. I think there are two really powerful points here. The first one is we are living in very, very uh, important and historic times. We've seen with the Black Lives Matter movement and with other causes of social justice in sports in recent times, including gender equality, that athletes will not stick to sports, that athletes are insisting that sport is truly a force for good and that there will not only be human rights and athlete rights respected within sport, but sport will be a vehicle for social justice uh, beyond sport. If we then look at the specifics of Rule 50, the real problem is the podium and the complex situation, well, the conflicting situation of the podium is that it actually involves a forced political ceremony in and of itself, that an athlete must, when being recognised as a champion, stand to attention before the national flag and before the national anthem in order to be recognised. And an athlete who believes that that ceremony does not reflect their beliefs, in fact, that it may misrepresent where that athlete stands, that athlete is forced into a, a very um, inconvenient situation where people of true belief and courage will say, well, no, I'm not going to allow myself to be represented uh, this way. And for the IOC to address Rule 50, it really has to simply become comfortable with the fact that the world is complex. There's a whole variety of political views that people have. It should embrace the uncomfortable conversation, as we're seeing other sports bodies doing, including probably most interestingly, Eddie, the Commonwealth Games Federation. The Commonwealth Games Federation is embracing podium protests. Um, and of course, that that is uh, the historic descendant of the old British Empire Games. And if we look at many of the problems regarding race, Indigenous rights, Indigenous rights, uh, imperialism, many of them go back to the old British Empire. And uh, the Commonwealth Games has understood that if it is going to be a legitimate sports body and a force for good that it needs to embrace these difficult conversations and therefore embrace human and athlete rights right and and right now as you know the ioc as i said is resisting that and they have their own athletes commissions which seem to always for some odd reason come to different conclusions from independent athlete organizations and say pretty much what the IOC or the international federations want them to, and this is what Bach said he's waiting for for their report, even though more and more people all over uh, support the right of athletes to do these type of podium protests. I mean, the recent poll just came out from the Washington Post that in the U.S., 62% overall of Americans say professional athletes should should use their platforms to express their views on uh, national issues and that's a big turnaround from a few years ago 
and uh, if you look even at the, at the younger people, the numbers are even higher in terms of, of their support. So there's been a, a large change in the views of the population, uh, but the IOC is holding on to these to these old views. And as you said, the the Olympics have always been used to promote the whatever propaganda the host country wants. I mean, the, the most egregious example, of course, was the 1936 Olympics with uh, under Hitler's Germany. But this is going on all over the every no matter where it is. This is going on everywhere, and a lot of these authoritarian countries where these events are held don't even allow peaceful protests in general. So there are really big issues in terms of human rights. And the question is, what's going to happen next as more and more athletes speak out around this? Well, I think if we look at, you know, going back to your initial point about the athletes' commissions of the IOC, and, and, and you're absolutely correct that they are part of the IOC. Um, and their approach to the dealing with Rule 50 is some sort of survey to find out whether um, a majority of athletes are comfortable with podium protests. But of course, human rights exist because they're universal, they're inalienable, and they exist to protect the minority. Uh, because if we don't protect the minority, then everyone um, is at risk. So that process completely lacks um, legitimacy and, and will not hold uh, water. What, what I can absolutely say, having spoken to our strong Olympic unions, and by that I mean the big player unions in the Olympic sports, such as basketball and football, um, that if, you know, they won't be silenced. Um, if, if the cause is there, um, then they will take action. They will be willing to, to, to demonstrate from the protest. And the people that will be representing them and, and doing so through high principle um, will certainly be the uh, player associations. We've also seen the growth of protests recently really on an unprecedented level in the United States following the uh, police shooting in the back of uh, Jacob Blake um, there were protests. Really, the, the WNBA has been uh, the, the strongest organization in terms of this. But after this took place in Kenosha, Wisconsin, the Milwaukee Bucks decided uh, they weren't going to play. And that was followed by a lot of teams in the NBA and, and teams in other sports, including in Major League Baseball, which has a, a much smaller percentage of black players than the NBA, which is a majority black, but Major League Baseball, the numbers of black players have been shrinking, yet several games were postponed um, in Major League Baseball. The, the the media called them boycotts. They were, To me, they were not boycotts. They were either strikes or protests. Uh, that, I think, were better terms. They weren't boycotting the, the sport. They weren't boycotting, you know, playing... Uh, basketball or baseball or or whatever but they were making a political statement and, and if you watch I watch a bunch of baseball games in the US a number of the uh, ballparks have banners out that where normally they would either be advertising or just promotions of the games etc big uh, banners or 
uh, on the on the outfield fences black lives matter this is just unprecedented and this has been continuing in boxing it's almost like this has been going on already but you just see as a matter of course a number of boxers when they they come out do their ring walk for the fight and this of course is during the pandemic where fans aren't allowed into the arenas wearing shirts that say black lives matter or everybody versus racism or other other statements i've seen shakur stevenson um jamel herring many many others doing this and it's much more accepted in a sport like boxing that is a much higher percentage of black and latino fighters and people from working class and immigrant and and poor backgrounds and they know really what you know what the deal is so this is really something that's kind of unprecedented in in professional sports and i think it's uh, you know they're going to be ups and downs about it but i think it's only going to continue yeah as we were saying it's um they're difficult conversations that that we need to have and of course the first wave of those protests occurred uh, following the brutal killing of George Floyd we saw in Europe in Germany uh, Jaden Sancho um, wear a protest shirt after scoring a goal justice for George Floyd the English Premier League uh, season was also dedicated to Black Lives Matter after Resuming, But I think there are two really other important elements to this, Eddie. The first one is that these protests are not just about promoting social awareness or promoting social justice. They're about systemic change. And so if we look at the NBA and the NBA Players Association or the MBPA under the leadership of Michelle Roberts, those discussions have resulted in what are called social justice agreements to make it easier for people to be a part of a political process to vote in November. Roger Goodell has turned around and recognised that the NFL was not adequately dealing with the issue of um, systemic racism. So this is about change, it's not just about awareness. And the other aspect which I think is very interesting is the local interpretation of the Black Lives Matter campaign that we're seeing throughout the world. It's also unleashed uh, awareness in relation to the abuse of Indigenous peoples. We saw, of course, the the change of the name, the long overdue change of the name of the Washington Redskins. But in Australia, for example, in sports such as the Australian Football League and the National Rugby League, there's been much greater awareness um, and attempts to understand the magnificent Indigenous culture that is part of that country, which is my um, home country, um, and moves towards reconciliation and people understanding that, and this is where sport has an important role, um, sport has tried to promote, and we said this about the Olympics, it's tried to promote humanitarian values, it's tried to promote human rights, but sport can't do that legitimately unless it first respects human rights and then protects them within their own boundaries. If the sport itself um, is, for example, uh, a sport in which there is gender discrimination or racism or young people are are sexually abused, that sport has no legitimate right to promote human rights. And it certainly can't do that going back to your point around 1936 and the Berlin Olympics. It certainly can't do it 
if the mega sporting events um, such as the World Cup and the Olympics are themselves causes of uh, devastation in relation to human rights. And it must be said that globally, the real tipping point that saw this turnaround on respect for human rights in sport was the revelations of the abuse of migrant workers in relation to the construction in the lead up to the 2022 FIFA World Cup. Right, which is still scheduled to take place in Qatar and the 2022 Beijing Olympics are still still, barring any change because of the coronavirus pandemic still scheduled to take place there despite the uh, incredible persecution of the Ouija population reportedly something like a million people put in uh, what are really concentration camps separated from their families and all sorts of abuses that that are going on and yet the Olympic movement and all of its big sponsors and broadcasters are are set to go there in 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 2022, which really it's a Winter Olympics, so it's not that far off. It's a little little bit over a year away. So, and a lot of people are calling for that to be re-examined, and it looks like the IOC has no interest in re-examining holding uh, the Winter Olympics in China. No, and, and look, there's a lot of work to be done there. You know, at the World Players Association, we work very closely with the human rights groups. We've helped establish a group called the Sport and Rights Alliance, which includes the International Trade Union Confederation, Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, Transparency International, uh, and other groups. And we were able to reach an agreement with the International Olympic Committee to embed human rights standards into the new host city contract. We negotiated this in late 2016, but it doesn't take effect until Paris 2024. Now, that doesn't mean that these human rights issues should be on hold until then, but it does mean that there was a lack of awareness and a lack of due diligence uh, on human rights matters when uh, the previous Olympiads were awarded by by the IOC. There were devastating human rights fallouts in relation to Rio, uh, including the compulsory acquisition of property without due notice or, or, or compensation, uh, a lot of violence around the security crackdown and, and the introduction of, a, of heavy policing in order to create the, the, the semblance of a pristine um, environment. So it really gets back to our fundamental point, Eddie, that these sports can't promote human rights unless they first uh, respect and protect the people who are involved and those who are affected by by, by their activities. Um, accountability is needed and, and delivering that accountability in a country like China is obviously incredibly difficult. The same goes to Qatar and so the international community has an essential role to play and I do believe, and we've seen it with the uh, wave of athlete activism that you've been referring to, that the real, the, the stakeholder with the great credibility and leverage here is certainly the athlete, um, provided they can be organised to engage in collective um, action. One of the issues regarding athletes and human rights and athlete activism that has come up is the situation facing uh, Navid Afkari of Iran and his brothers. Uh, Navid was someone who was an outstanding wrestler in Iran. Obviously, wrestling is, is probably the 
one of the one or two most popular sports in Iran. It's existed there for thousands of years through the various civilizations and and governments that have been there. And uh, I, I'm not sure what he did, how much he did on an international level, but I believe he won some national championships. And he is now and his brothers imprisoned on trumped-up charges, which involve participation in a peaceful uh, demonstration related to the regime's uh, both political and economic oppression, the, the oil price hikes and, and other issues, and was framed up for the killing of a security guard, a Basiji, uh, that did take place. But the, the information that I have is that he wasn't even, not, neither he nor his brother or either of his brothers were even at that demonstration. They, he, Navid might have been in the area getting uh, a, his brother's cell phone repaired because there are a number of shops that do that kind of work, electronics and cell phone repair work uh, in that area and was, was sort of made a scapegoat for all of this. And there's been an international campaign to save him. He's been sentenced to death. Um, he's been tortured and beaten as his brothers are. The, the, his mother has very little information about him, and it, it appears they don't they don't announce when executions take place. But it could really the execution could take place at any time, and a number of wrestlers and former wrestlers and other athletes and just general people supporting human rights have spoken out about this, and there's been a whole campaign about it. Even uh, Bach was, as I mentioned, was was asked about this, and he said the IOC is is working behind the scenes on this, whatever that means. Um, but a lot of people are saying, if they kill this guy, Iran should be kicked out of the Olympics. The Judo Federation has already been suspended by the International Judo Federation because they were pressuring athletes. Um, not to compete against Israeli athletes and threatening them and their families. And this could, well, I don't think, there is an evidence that the Iranian Wrestling Federation is directly involved in this. People are saying, why is this country allowed in the Olympic movement if this is what they're doing to its athletes? So um, I don't know if you have any updated information about that case, but it's something again in this era of athlete activism a lot of people have come together and particularly the wrestling community has a certain bond among each other and particularly to Iranian wrestlers because every event that I've gone to where there are Iranian wrestlers the, the Iranian fans are some of the greatest fans in the world they cheer their wrestlers but they also cheer wrestlers from other countries they bring a lot of spirit and knowledge to these events and so there's been a lot of bonding at these events over these international wrestling events over the years so a lot of people really horrified to find out what happened and I don't know if you have any updated information about uh, what's going on with this case in look I think it's a really uh, good summary you've given um, Eddie of, of, of this horrific situation that, that, that we confront um, in terms of a wrestler um, facing the death penalty. Uh, we've been working very closely with people connected to Navid's family, 
to very credible human rights groups on the ground, including the Centre for Human Rights in Iran, Human Rights Watch and others. And they certainly um, uh, are satisfied that this is uh, a charge without any foundation whatsoever. Um, he, he, he just brings into light um, athlete activism, you know, it's, it, even in a, in a human rights respecting country, because an athletic career path is, is short-term and precarious at best, it takes great courage for an individual to be willing to sacrifice that career for a principle greater than themselves. And that's why we really do respect those over the history of sports who have, who have stood up because people understand um, what it is that they're, they're, they're willing to sacrifice. But here we have a situation where the athlete is targeted um, because of his profile and to make uh, the most horrifying of examples to people who uh, would otherwise stand up against the repression because there were widespread protests in Shiraz, which is the region where Nabit and his family is from, uh, in response to the crackdown and the economic repression of a couple of years ago. Um, what does it mean? You know, there's always a diplomatic reaction to these types of things. Um, the Swiss Foreign Minister Ignazio Cassis uh, said he had fruitful talks with the Iranian Foreign Minister Mohammad Javad Zarif uh, earlier this week. There's a very important diplomatic relationship between Switzerland and Iran, but we don't think politics uh, will possibly save this man. Uh, we believe sport can elevate itself above politics and bring about a just solution. Uh, we have certainly been outspoken in saying that any act by Iran in executing Nabid must surely be taken as a repudiation of its right to be a part of the universal sporting community. Uh, we have seen statements from the International Olympic Committee and FIFA, Iran's a great football nation as well as a great wrestling nation, that they're monitoring um, the situation. But I think the power of sporting sanctions is something that has to be squarely on the table. Sports bodies are very keen to impose sporting sanctions on countries to uh, protect their political independence, to protect their autonomy. Uh, you mentioned that judo is, is presently suspended in Iran from the international community. That is because of the courageous act of the judo uh, fighter, Saeed Malai, who uh, refused to forfeit a match against Israel. He subsequently sought asylum in, in Germany because of the fact that uh, Iran does not recognize Israel. It was an order on, on him from the Iranian sports bodies that he forfeit any contest against an Israeli athlete. Um, if sanctions are imposed for the types of reasons I've just mentioned, then it seems here the, 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 the execution of an athlete must surely uh, warrant the, the, the most severe uh, response on the part um, of the sporting community. And the sports bodies need to make that clear urgently in our view to prevent this execution from taking place. Right, and some of the people that were, I should mention this, that were involved in playing a key role in this campaign is have been uh, Sally Roberts, who's been an elite American wrestler. I, I think she might be retired now, but she's involved with Wrestle Like a Girl and a lot of other activities on the, the U.S. and international wrestling scene, and many others, and re has really helped rally a lot of different people on this. And in the wrestling community, 
often doesn't speak out on a lot of these kind of issues, but uh, this is kind of something that's been unprecedented. Um, I want to also talk about something you mentioned earlier about gender discrimination. And this came up in the recent case of uh, Castor Semenya, who lost her appeal in uh, Swiss court. And to me, this is something that is just so horrifying that World Athletics used to be the IAAF, and uh, apparently now the IOC is going to adopt these policies, want to take, want to have athletes like her who are intersex and have naturally high levels of testosterone for female athletes. This is not from taking drugs, PEDs, or any of this other stuff. They want to force her, in order to compete, to take the, some kind of drugs to lower her testosterone level, something that is horrifying and is opposed by many organizations and people, including the World Medical Association and others. And she's lost uh, two cases at the Court of Arbitration for Sport and now in the Swiss courts about this. And it's unclear legally what recourse uh, she has. But to me, this is a, a horrifying case, something out of uh, one of these dystopian science fiction movies that you can imagine. And she's a world-class athlete. And the deal is to, to keep her from competing and getting another gold medal. And uh, I wish you could comment on that. This is just something that this latest uh, court decision just broke recently, but um, it's something from what I've read. The IOC might want to use this to apply it to other, to in general, to all sports. Well, we don't we, we don't know about that, but but what it certainly highlights is just the power of um, global sports law to to regulate athletes and do so without regard to their human rights. We're dealing with a global legal system that is pretty much beyond the reach of any country. If you look at North America, for example, where the players in the major professional sports have been able to get organised and, and get somewhat of an equal say in the way sports are governed through collective bargaining, they've been able to use and rely upon US labour law. Without that law, without the right for them to be able to form a union, they would not have been able to move forward. At the global system, there isn't really any law apart from what the sports governing body wishes to impose by regulation. And if the athlete doesn't agree to those regulations, they're simply excluded um, from the sport. Um, and then there's this process of arbitration. And the only way that can be challenged is on very, very narrow and technical grounds to uh, to the Swiss Federal Tribunal, which is the process that that, that Casta went through. Um, so the system is in need of, of 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 reform. You know, the World Medical Association actually said it would be unethical for doctors to. Uh, prescribe the treatment that these regulations propose. The IAAF can simply dispute that because they've got the power to do it even if they're scientifically um, wrong. The Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights said that these rules violate um, the fundamental human rights of women in, in, in a number of respects. 
But the problem is that the Court of Arbitration for Sport and the Swiss Federal Tribunal does not have to take these things to, into account. And when raised, when these points were raised for the IAAF, they simply said we are a private body that has no responsibility in relation to internationally recognised human rights. So this is where the reformation effort um, it becomes so important. Uh, FIFA, in response to the crisis in Qatar, has embedded internationally recognised human rights into its constitution. Uh, we're calling upon the IOC to do the same. I mentioned the host city contract earlier. The International Olympic Committee uh, has committed itself to a, a comprehensive human rights uh, approach. And what that would mean is that if any regulation like this was, was to be uh, even considered, it would have to go through a proper human rights due diligence uh, before even being put into place. And if they got it wrong, the athlete would have full access to a, a remedy uh, mechanism that would ensure that their human rights are fully taken into account. Um, I know some people in sport feel strongly that the, the caster should not be entitled to run. What I say to those people is that I think that that's a view based on um, uh, a narrow understanding of sport or a perceived view of sport, but those sporting norms should not be allowed to prevail over um, the human rights of the athlete. Yeah, and you, you should maybe say LeBron James should not be allowed to play basketball because his natural abilities and talent and everything are greater than so many other people, or Mike Trout should not be allowed to play baseball because his abilities are better than, his natural abilities are better than so many, and you know, he gives so many other different examples, and this of course takes place at a time when they want to force her to take this stuff, which has been incorrectly, these drugs have been incorrectly described as medication in the media. It's not medication. Medication is what you take if you're ill or have some health problem to try to make you better. This is something that will ruin your health, will ruin your body, will, will make it worse. And so you can, these, these are drugs. And this is at a time when there are people, as we know, in sport and elsewhere taking these PEDs, performance enhancement drugs. These are performance de-enhancement drugs that they want to force her to take so uh, it's it's something which is it, it's really uh, that I think the international sporting community should really look into this very very carefully and you know continue this battle and and I want to before we go ask you one other thing the, the World Players Association has athlete organizations in many many different sports absent among those sports are professional boxing and professional MMA and I don't know how many combat sports organizations you have but particularly professional boxing where there's no union there's no boxers association there have been attempts in the past to create one that didn't come to fruition in, in mixed martial arts, there have also been attempts over the years that, that are ongoing but have not as of yet been successful. What do you see for sports like the combat sports where they're individual athletes and they work for a variety of different promoters or, 
promotions, and they they it's a it's a very different structure with no with no central body where you have you know you mentioned FIFA and the various national federations or the English Premier League or Major League Baseball, the NBA, all these other organizations, uh, where you you can't have uh, industry-wide collective bargaining. What do you see can be done in these sports to ramp up uh, the fight for athletes' rights? Because particularly in mixed martial arts, the result has been the fighters get a much, much lower percentage of the overall revenues coming in than in other sports and in boxing it's very much skewed to the top where a couple of fighters at the top will make an enormous amount of money Saul Canelo Alvarez, Anthony Joshua, Tyson Fury uh, a number of others but the vast majority of boxers do not make much money they don't have any kind of a pension or anything like that and their their rights are even the top level athletes their rights are limited so you see the lawsuit with Canelo against uh, his promoter Golden Boy and the in the uh, streaming service the zone they have to take it to court to enforce those rights and, mm. and to, to fight about it what do you think could be done in these sports to get something going and, and have the the strength of the other athlete organizations help boxers and fighters organize something? Well, you know, the World Players Association, we were only set up in uh, December 2014, so we're quite new ourselves. Of course, there's an unbelievable experience uh, amongst our affiliates. You know, the U.S. unions got organized in the mid-60s. The English PFA in soccer even goes back to 1907. What I would say, Eddie, it was a struggle for a lot of those unions to get organized. I think that um, um, that also needs to needs to be understood. The emergence of probably the pioneer in, in, in many ways, the Major League Baseball Players Association, was a great struggle. Um, if we look, however, as to where our movement is at, you're absolutely correct. The vast majority of athletes which have succeeded in getting organised have been from the professional um, team sports. If we look at an individual sport, even this week, um, the Association of Tennis Professionals, its Players' Council, came out and condemned and condemned the formation of a new Players' Association. The Association of Tennis Professionals was a union. Uh, in fact, in 1973, over disciplined by the tennis authorities of a famous player named Nicky Pillage, they boycotted the 1973 Wimbledon in order to develop um, a voice. But those individual athletes then became the tour, <laughs> and then the tour became um, management. Um, we are seeing a great uh, um, impetus on the part of athletes in individual and Olympic sports to get organised. Um, in unions in countries such as Germany, uh, the United States and Canada, we've seen enormous uh, developments. We're working with uh, a lobby group for athletes called Global Athlete, which is really making a difference to the voices of individual athletes at the Olympic level. And I think probably one of the most significant developments is the push to change the legislation, the Ted Stevens Amateur Sports Act in the United States 
because it's become clear that athletes have not been significantly represented within the Olympic movement in the United States, and that's given a rise to the appalling sexual abuse that we've seen in sports such as swimming and um, gymnastics. Um, the law needs to be rewritten so that athletes have a fair chance to organise. We are hopeful that the new law in the United States, if it gets passed by the House of Representatives, will enable that to happen. And what we're going to do at the World Players Association is continue to fight to change the system of global sport. If the IOC um, in, agrees to embed human rights, which it's committed itself to do, then that will include its obligation to respect these two enabling rights that we started this interview with, the right of freedom of expression and the right of freedom of association. And if that occurs, then we'll have a situation where um, the revenues of sport can be shared fairly with the athletes, the athletes' basic rights can be uh, respected. And if we look at the history of our movement, we really wonder why sport's worried by that. Because what we do know is that by empowering the athletes, the sports have, have grown massively as businesses. Uh, the athletes have been partners in many of the, de the decisions that have been made. And the career path has been uh, much more uh, secure and much more rewarding. So therefore it becomes more attractive and therefore the sport is in a much better position to attract the next generation of great athletes at a time when the competition for athletes among the various sports is increasing all the time. Well, we hope that all this is going to have an effect on the the many different sports that we've been talking about. Um, what do you want the public to do? People that maybe are sports fans or recreational athletes, how could they be part of this movement and how could they find what you're doing online? Well, you know, at the World Players Association, we're, we're, we're committed to respecting the rights of everyone involved in sport, not just the players. We work with the fan groups, um, for example, um, because they're so important in making sure that our players can play in safe stadia, for example, and, and, and they're the ones that drive our business. You know, the, 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 the empty stadia in COVID-19 have been devastating and players have been saying just how disappointing um, that, that experience has been. Um, I think it starts with respect though, Eddie. You know, I think that part of the reason why the players' associations have been able to grow to a position of prominence is that ultimately the athletes are respected um, and therefore they're entitled to a voice. And I think that um, every athlete has their own journey. You know, most of them at a very young age dedicated themselves to excelling in a chosen field. And I do think that they can be harshly judged. They're asked to be role models, they're asked to do the right thing. Well, I think. Uh, many, if not all, of the athletes accept that responsibility. Um, we now ask that they be respected, that they can speak out on issues of social justice, um, because not only sport, but, but the communities in which these athletes live will be much better if, if um, the transformation that they're all fighting for can take place. If people want to follow the World Players Association or what you're doing online, what are the best ways to do that? Well, the best ways to do that is to go to our Twitter, which is at World Players United. Um, I'm on Twitter, at Brendan Schwab. We're part of a magnificent labor movement, Global Union Federation, called Uni Global Union. Um, they've got a very strong online um, presence. And um, 
and yeah, be a part of it, but also follow our affiliates because some of the work that's been done in sports that we haven't talked about, such as cricket and rugby, uh, is truly um, remarkable. All right, I think this is going to continue. I think we're going to see a lot more happening around the world, and there's going to be uh, a reckoning around athletes' rights uh, coming in the not-too-distant future about this, and I want to commend you for this work. I've seen the necessity of it, as I said, in the, in the combat sports and the absence of athletes' rights in a lot of these sports, and people are standing up and fighting back, and I think that's absolutely necessary. Thanks, Eddie. It's great to speak with you. Great, and we hope to speak again when we get some more information on what else is going on, and uh, again, thanks for taking the time to talk with us. Thanks, Eddie. No Holds Barred is brought to you by LennyHart.com, the home of Lenny Hart, the legendary MMA and sports announcer, voice actor, singer, actress, and comedian. Lenny is also known for her jazz vocals with her Lenny Hart Jazz Cabaret Band. For more information, to book her or to order a custom message from her, go to LennyHart.com. That's L-E-N-N-E-H-A-R-D-T dot com. And Skulls Combat Sports Equipment, creator of the patented Skulls Double-End Bag, is the perfect punching bag for your combat sports training. Skulls Double-End Bags provide a realistic striking target and help improve speed, distance, and timing skills. Hang it and hit it right out of the box. No pump required. Skulls Combat Sports Equipment, that's Skulls with a Z, advancing combat sports equipment for the next generation of fighters. For more information, go to Instagram and Facebook at Skulls with a Z Combat Sports. And Adolfina Studios, original art prints and handcrafted fine jewelry. For more information, go to Etsy.com, that's E-T-S-Y.com, slash shop, slash Adolfina Studios, that's A-D-O-L-P-H-I-N-A Studios. Hello everyone around the world, welcome back. This is Eddie Goldman, No Holds Barred. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the show. Thanks for listening. If you want to follow my site, my blog, the easiest way is go to eddiegoldman.com. For No Holds Barred, this has been Eddie Goldman.